Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, a stimulating look at culture, current events, faith, and politics from a Christian and conservative point of view. We don't just talk on the radio, we blog too. Check us out at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Now grab a cup of coffee and join us. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. And welcome back to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you in part by Northside Cafe in Winterset. Just a short drive from Des Moines. Go check out Winterset's oldest cafe located right on the courthouse square. Mention Caffeinated Thoughts and you'll get a free crisp for dessert. So how about that? Can't beat that. They got great crisp. Free stuff if you mention Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Yeah, well, just free crisp anyway. So, and, and, there are and, limits. And, and, Stuff and, and, and only at Norset Cafe in Winterset. I don't know if anybody else given. Matter of fact, they might charge you extra if you mention <laughs> so or escort so, you from the building. Yeah, yeah. So you might want to be careful where you mention it. Uh, Norset Cafe, you'll be safe. Uh, you've uh, been you've been having a busy week. I have. I, mean, I feel like I'm like permanently attached to the seat in the studio. I've been uh, guest hosting uh, for. Uh, Mike Damastis show Faith Works Live uh, that was you know, Monday through Friday. Um, uh, I've been so, here with you Monday and Thursday and again tonight. Yep. So and of course we're recording on Friday morning. Um, yeah. So it's been it's been uh, uh, fun. It's been challenging. It's been very busy. Uh, and we're not together. done yet either. Uh, no. There's yeah, tomorrow. We're, yes, and we're we're going to be um, at at the Family Leadership Summit uh, starting. I guess I haven't seen the schedule. Probably I'm going to say about 9 a.m. Uh, but we personally are going to be um, uh, basically we, taping a show live for any audience that wants to participate and be there are we at one, one are o'clock. We one o'clock. Okay. One o'clock right. at at the Family Leadership Summit, uh, which is at the uh, Community Choice Credit Union Convention Center, um, better known as the old old Wells or no the old uh, Veterans Auditorium okay. building. So um, at at the uh, so Iowa come Events come Center. at one o'clock on Saturday. Bring your tomatoes. Yeah. Well, and actually, if you want to just come, you don't. I don't think you. <laughs> I think they've got food there. We're, we're going to be we're going to be located outside where you. I think they're checking tickets too. So I don't think if you just want to come for just that, you can. Uh, but obviously, you know, we encourage you to to attend the whole summit, so you can still get a ticket. I I think actually you got to pay at the door at this point. So uh, just come out and and hopefully we'll see you there. Um, it's, but it's, yeah, it's been a busy week. It has been. So, so what do we got going on today? Well, in studio, we've got Reverend Mike Erickson. Uh, he, you've been, this is your second time on or third time on our show? First time in the studio. First time, time in the studio. Yeah. yeah. For yep. your worldview. Okay. And yes, year. and yeah. you spoke at the Caffeinate Thoughts Briefing. Uh, but Mike holds postgraduate degrees in philosophy and theology from Baylor University and Reformed Theological Seminary. He's the pastor of Trinity Presbyterian Reformed Church in Johnston, Iowa, and has just collectively raised the IQ in this room by, uh, who knows? A point. A point. Well, <laughs> you realize it doesn't take much That's true. To, to raise the IQ level in this room. That's true. And on, the, and on the phone, we've got uh, Doug Dauma. <laughs> Doug uh, holds an engineering degree from University of Michigan, an MBA from Wake Forest University, <laughs> And an MDiv from Sangre de Cristo Seminary. Where's that located, Doug? Sangre de Cristo is in southern Colorado in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. Okay, and what's what's that seminary affiliated with? I've never heard of that one. Well, they're an independent seminary. They're a member of the Association of Reformed Theological Seminaries, along with Puritan, Greenville, Western Reformed, and some others. 
Okay. Uh, it was founded in 1976 by Dwight Zeller hmm. um, and uh, continues to this day with uh, usually about 12 students, mostly Presbyterians, a few Baptists um, up in the mountains. Cool. So um, uh, you've got quite an eclectic collection of degrees here, uh, engineering, <laughs> MBA, and, and an MDiv. So that's, uh, that, that's probably a whole different segment uh, just to hear your story. Man. Yeah. So anyway, Doug is the licensed minister in the Reformed Presbyterian Church, uh, Hanover Presbytery, and the author of The Presbyterian Philosopher, the authorized biography of Gordon H. Clark. He joins us from just outside Asheville, North Carolina. So welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, Doug. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I'm going to let Brian kick us off. All right, Doug. First of all, let's, let's have you give us a thumbnail sketch of who Dr. Gordon Clark was. Okay. Well, um, one of the ways I describe his life and situation is to say that he was in some way involved in every um, major and sometimes minor um, denominational split or merger in the Presbyterian Church in the 20th century. So the biography of him from 1902 to 1985 was his year's. Um, the biography of him is, in a sense, a history of 20th century Presbyterianism, as you see his uh, affiliation and uh, disaffiliation, sometimes on his own accord and sometimes against his will, in actually five or six different uh, Presbyterian groups. Okay. Writing a book, obviously you know this, it's, it's a large commitment, it's quite an undertaking. Why did you think it was important for Christians to know about Gordon Clark? and to consider his thought. Yeah. Um, I had been searching for some time for intellectual Christian defenses of the faith, um, read a number of Reformed epistemologists, um, other thinkers, and found them to be, um, say, on the philosophical side. Uh, and then other writers you will find write from purely a theological, biblical standpoint, but m- perhaps without as much understanding of secular philosophy. So when I came to Gordon Clark's works, I I found, I think, a a good balance of understanding secular philosophy. He had a Ph.D. in philosophy from the University of Pennsylvania, an Ivy League school, and then retained uh, retained his Christianity uh, that he grew up in, in the Presbyterian Church, and was able to show how Christianity is superior to those secular philosophies. And so I think he, pre- he presents uh, a, strong, a strong philosophy that Christians can uh, gain much from and see Christianity as truly a philosophy and, and a theology that is superior to the secular alternatives. Can you tell us some of the source materials that you used and, and perhaps some of the twists and turns that your research took in this regard? Yeah. Um, for source materials, um, Clark was, Dr. Clark was a well-known man, but he wasn't so well-known that there are materials everywhere. I had to do quite a bit of searching. Um, it was quite fortunate to do the project at this time because those who knew Dr. Clark, um, many of them have passed on. And so there, there are a few, a few people around who do know him um, that did know him quite well. And so I was able to interview probably about two dozen individuals. Um, I worked um, 
in concert with his two daughters, um, uh, who wrote the foreword to the book, interviewed a number of other family members, former students of his, and even some professors who worked with him. So the interviews were an important piece to fill in some of the gaps, um, where the, the real bulk of the book is, is from his letter collection, uh, 915 or so letters I was able to find in seven or eight archives and from individuals, um, as well as gleaning information about him from the 40 books that he wrote. Rounding up all those letters must have been quite a challenge. Yeah, it was. Um, And and fortunately, what we were able to do is um, publish those letters. So just this week, actually, um, a a group of selected letters of Gordon Clark, it's called Clark and His Correspondence, um, just uh, came out with the Trinity Foundation publishers. So I compiled that collection based on my research. And then um, Tom Juditis at the Trinity Foundation um, edited the book. And so they have that available, and it's um, quite a bit less expensive than the, than the biography and, and interesting in its own right. So I've been um, pointing people to those as well. So that's available now? It is, yeah, just as of two days ago. Hmm. Outstanding. So I just want to jump in with a quick question here. Um, I'm just reading through a, a brief biography at the Trinity Foundation website, and it says his life was one of controversy, theological and philosophical. Could you explain you know, kind of why he was viewed as a controversial figure in, during his time? Yeah. Um, well, I, I have a whole chapter on, on that. Um, in fact, I have three chapters in the book. There's 13 total. Three chapters on what is called the Clark Van Til controversy. Um, perhaps, and we're going to get um, into detail in that in second segment. I think, Doug. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Many of your listeners, of course, will know of Cornelius Van Til, mm-hmm. and so what. What Clark is known about, I, we say, probably secondary after his, you know, forty published books. He's well known for a four-year controversy in the 1940s in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And um, the reasons for that are, are somewhat complex. There are, there are theological disagreements, there are political um, things going on in the Church, and um, so I explore some of those in the book. Um, but yeah, it would take a considerable time to go through why, um, why I think some valid reasons and some um, poor reasons why controversy came right. up over his views at that point. And then um, some other occasions in his life, but but really nothing as strong as in the 1940s until just around the time of his death, he publishes, or just after he, he died, his publisher comes out with a book um, called The Incarnation, which Gordon Clark wrote about um, the nature of Jesus Christ, in which uh, a theological view he presents there um, is looked upon with um, quite a bit of concern by various theologians. Okay, Doug, we're going to bring in Reverend Mike Erickson here to ask a few questions uh, relative uh, to uh, Clark's thinking. Hey, Doug. Hello. Yeah, tying in his life's work, his commitment to Scripture, primacy of the elect, this kind of thing, the the idea of a systematic worldview is under much debate today, even amongst Presbyterians. Did Dr. Clark, consider it possible to develop a systematic worldview derived from and based on the Scriptures? Well, that certainly was his goal, and um, I, I think he, he believes he never you know, fully achieved that, but 
it, it's I believe he would say it's possible to the extent that the scriptures themselves are systematic and that God, who is not the author of confusion, has revealed to us his truth. And these these truths of the scriptures um, should not um, contradict one another. So that what's revealed in the scriptures speaks more than just to the salvation of the soul of man, but it, you know, creation, the nature of man, so on and so forth. So a rather systematic worldview, you say, was his goal? Yeah, so, so for Clark, the scriptures have essentially a, a monopoly on the truth. Um, both the, as the confession, as the Westminster Confession says, the, there's the truth of the scriptures, and then what is by good and necessary consequence can be deduced from those scriptures. So we have all of this, all of these propositions of knowledge that the scriptures tell us, and then we have the ability to put those propositions together to understand additional things. And so Clark would see the scriptures, of course, like Luther, it's focused on salvation, mm-hmm. um, creation, doctrine of man, uh, these various important theological points. But we shouldn't overlook the, the fact that the scriptures speak to mostly everything in this world, and where they do speak, they're true. So they're true on ethics, they're true on politics, um, and even aesthetics. So Clark mm. develops in one of his unpublished papers, he develops some theories of aesthetics and artwork. So yeah, he, he wants to be a philosopher looking into each of these areas and saying, we need to look back to the scriptures, because God, who knows all things, has revealed information to us there, whereas when we try to seek knowledge on our own accord, we fail, as he says has been shown through the history of philosophy, which the history of philosophy, particularly with the ancient Greeks, was Clark's focus um, at the university and what he taught for a number of years at the University of Pennsylvania before he moved into uh, Christian colleges. You listen to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, and on the line we have Doug Dauma, who's the author of The Presbyterian Philosopher, the authorized biography of Gordon H. Clark. Yeah, a couple of times through through the course of comments, two two terms or phrases have, uh, have come up, one being philosophy, the other systematic theology. Uh, what, what did you think uh, was Clark's view of the relation between philosophy and systematic theology? About two minutes left, Doug. Yes, okay. Well, um, I like the term you were using before, of worldview, and in, in to us, I've seen some, some people try to distinguish theology from philosophy. Well, um, Clark's publisher, um, uh, John Robbins, would put those two terms together, and I think Clark would as well, because philosophy, the love of wisdom in Greek, and theology, the study of God in the Greek, well, if God is wisdom, then the study of wisdom and the love of God are um, are similar things. And so ultimately, um, this maybe is, is a verbal dispute, what do these terms mean? But ultimately, for Clark, what matters is the truth. And so we want a system of truth, and we can call that a worldview, a systematic theology, a philosophy, um, various terms. But what we want to know is the truth. And as he believes, and as I believe, the truth is Jesus Christ, you know, who says, I am the truth, and it's the um, propositions uh, that Christ spoke and that the Lord has uh, spoken in the Scriptures. 
Doug, we got about a minute left, so we're probably not going to take this up now. We'll take it up uh, next segment. But uh, one one of the questions I know Mike wants to ask uh, is is uh, the necessity of logical reasoning for a consistent and God honoring uh, Christian life. So we'll give you a heads up on that one. You can ponder that okay. a little bit. Yeah. So where can people find your book? Um, well, it is uh, published with Ripton Stock Publishers out of uh, Eugene, Oregon. Uh, they have their own website. Uh, it's also available on Amazon.com. And I sell, um, I'm selling some copies myself if people are, find me on social media. Um, I'm able to um, sign a copy for them and send it to them, at, even at a discount from the from the publisher price. So I'm I'm glad to do that. Okay, hey, stay tuned. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. I should have taken advantage of that. Hi, this is Brian Myers of Myers & Associates. If you're involved in maintenance at a manufacturing plant, you know how costly it can be when a machine goes down. And if the reason that machine went down is because the electronic controls on it failed, it can really be problematic if those electronics are obsolete. Well, not to worry. We represent Providence Industrial Electronics Repair, and they can get your machine up and running in no time. They repair boards, drives, servo motors, light curtains, you name it. So if you need industrial electronics repaired at your plant, or if you have other industrial maintenance needs, give me a call at 515-490-2640. That's Myers & Associates, 515-490-2640. Myers & Associates, keeping your operations running. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is only possible through the generosity of our sponsors. Be sure to check out Travis Riswold, a modern woodman of America. Call Travis at 515-883-0029 and he can help you find the life insurance you need. As well as uh, cross, check out Crosswalk Ministries with Scott Owen. He's been a longtime sponsor as well, who offers biblical Good counseling yep, and conciliation. Contact him at 515 515- Six three five five four six five or crosswalkcounseling dot org. Um, hey, if you oh. missed some of the first segment or all of the first segment uh, with our interview with Doug Dama, be sure to check out our podcast at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Here in studio, of course, this is Shane Vanderhart. We got Brian Myers. We got Reverend Mike Erickson. We got Gabe, Brian's grandson. Yeah, Gabe's running the clock we got again. Ron at the board making the magic happen. And on the line, we have Doug Dama, who is the um, the author of The Presbyterian Philosopher, the authorized biography of Gordon H. Clark. So I'll let Brian kick us okay, off. Okay, Doug, you've had a few minutes, I trust, to think about that. Is logical reasoning necessary for a consistent, God-honoring Christian life? Well, I think uh, Clark would say definitely, um, as I would, um, Certainly, we all make mistakes in our logic. Uh, the philosophers, uh, Christian philosophers, often talk about the noetic or noetic effects of sin. So 
sin has impacted our minds, and we do certainly make mistakes in our logic and in our reasoning. But uh, for Clark, God is ultimately the ultimate logical thinker. God does not make mistakes in his logic, um, nor does he think on some other type of logic that we're not familiar with. Um, And so humans, as uh, men, as long as we um, make correct logical decisions, we think in, in that sense in the way that God does. So for God, two plus two is four, and um, various logical deductions, um, so long as they fit the categories of, of valid deductions, are uh, acceptable and true. And so um, one of the, the ways I, I speak about this um, in talking about the Scriptures is to show the way that Christ, um, in one instance, approves of these types of logical deductions. He says, um, God is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is a God of the living. Therefore, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. So he uses um, valid deductions based on premises of the Old Testament to make um, additional um, knowledge, propositions like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. And so I think we, too, can use logic and should use logic in uh, properly valid senses, which for Clark, it's, it's essentially the, the, um, the logic of Aristotle, that Aristotle and some of the Greeks had figured out these um, valid syllogisms. Uh, very much appreciate that. I'm sure a number of our listeners are aware of the ravaging effects 20th century uh, philosophies had on Christian thinkers and some aspects of biblical theology. So it seems like consistent logical reasonings thrown out the window, which uh, my next question would be, explain why uh, Clark, yourself, and I would agree, uh, think that the Christian system of thought is the only reasonable one. Well, <laughs> I think um, knowing that, um, that God and the Scriptures are this monopoly on truth, um, that anything that is contrary to these scriptural statements is therefore false. So the, the scriptures, um, God's Word, and God himself are that definition of true. God is true. So anything that is opposed to those is by that um, comparison false. So whereas the ancient Greeks, may, uh, like Plato, they may see... Um, uh, truth as a concept somehow above God or beyond God, Clark, along with St. Augustine, would see the very basis of truth and goodness, um, justice, within the very nature of God himself. And so God is our standard in um, questions of truth. Okay, Doug, let's shift gears here a little bit. Earlier in the interview, you had mentioned the Clark Van Til controversy. I do want to spend a little time on that. Can you give us, I I know it's got to be tough, but uh, give us a very, very short summary of that controversy. In other words, maybe you can just give the salient points about what the controversy was all about. Okay. Yeah, so um, in the book I I categorize, I I I talk about the four theological points of the controversy, and they're fairly um, challenging philosophical topics at times, but the primary one comes down to um, the incomprehensibility of God. 
And so both Clark and Van Til, um, sort of the adversaries here, believe that God is incomprehensible in a certain way, but not in others. And so I recommend the book for that. It's complicated to get into. Right. Um, so this complaint comes up, though. Interestingly enough, Gordon Clark had been teaching at Wheaton College, and he gets in a dispute there with some of the administration over his Calvinism and their relative Arminianism. And as he leaves Wheaton and goes to apply for ordination in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, where he believes he's going to be widely accepted for his Calvinistic views, he's, he's somewhat surprised to find this complaint um, coming up from the very uh, Calvinistic faculty at the, um, at the Westminster Seminary, where he had given the commencement speech in, in previous years, and mm-hmm. where he had a lot of connections. So it's sort of a surprise why this comes up. And I talk about um, some political reasons, what's going on behind the scenes in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And this is something where Dr. Clark's personal letter collection, but also Mm -hmm. letter collections within the archives of uh, Westminster um, Seminary, have um, been able to show um, new information. I I think particularly an episode about um, the acceptance of alcohol within the seminary um, becomes um, a, a hot point which previously, to my knowledge, has not been written about. And so in a sense, it's a continuation of the um, controversy of 1937 with the Bible Presbyterians uh-huh. leaving from the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And so Clark is continuing to be concerned about um, alcohol within the Church. And that's one of four or five reasons why um, some of the faculty members at Westminster Seminary who disagree with Clark want him to uh, not become a pastor or even a professor within their denomination. Dr. William Young is a, or was a good friend of, of both uh, myself and, and Mr. Erickson, and uh, I, I, I knew Dr. Young for the better part of 25 years, and, and I heard him tell the story of the, con- of the controversy uh, more than once, because as, as you know, Doug, he had a certain level of involvement in it, and he always... He always told the story the same way. He said, well, when Dr. Van Til said Dr. Clark was a heretic, I assumed Dr. Clark must be a heretic. (laughs) (laughs) He always started off the story by saying that. Interestingly enough, then, later in his life, uh, the Presbytery actually tasked Dr. Young to do some writing. And uh, and I knew what he was going to say before I asked him, but I asked Dr. Young to write on the Clark Van Til controversy. And he, he said, he was such a character, he said, not only would he not write about it, but he had no idea who would read it, even if he did. <laughs> I don't think he understood at that point the level of interest that there was still on this issue. And it would have been great because there was a guy who, who was intimately, he was there and intimately involved in, in the controversy, and it would, have, it would have been very valuable. We just could not get the guy to do it. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Young um, is involved in a couple of the reports that come out of the controversy. And in one of those reports, he sides against Gordon Clark with Van Til. And then in another, in another report, he, signed, he sides with Clark right. against Van Til. Um, and then after, uh, a few years after the controversy, he actually gets um, hired um, to Butler University, uh, presumably by Gordon Clark, um, to work underneath Clark, who is the head of the philosophy department at the time there. 
So Clark and Dr. Young worked together for, um, I think, five or six years there at Butler. And so, yeah, Dr. Young is a is an interesting um, figure in the controversy and one that I would like to explore deeper. His uh, papers have eluded me uh, to this date. <laughs> right, right. And uh, as, as you know, Doug, we're hoping to have some of those papers available to you uh, fairly soon. But uh, yes, that would be, that'd be incredible. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it back over to, to Mike Erickson. He's got a couple more questions uh, before you. Just for our listeners' sake, if you're just joining us uh, on the phone, is Doug Dauma. He's the uh, author of the Presbyterian philosopher, uh, the auto, auto, auth, uh, nah, the authorized biography of Gordon H. Clark. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Okay, Mike, you can go ahead and go on. Well, I see we just have maybe uh, four minutes and some odd, so I'm gonna jump to my last question, which you know, has a lot in there. Um, and, it, and this even relates to the Clark Van Til thing as far as uh, one's understanding of logic, knowledge, propositions, the mind of God, etc. So what is your take on Dr. Clark's view? And I haven't read the book. I didn't realize it was out yet. I got this from your book. Dr. Clark's view of Christ having two persons and pertaining to the incarnation and as related to his view of God and logic. Yes. Um, so that is something that I've explored in the book, and I, I mentioned um, in our previous segment that this is um, a second controversy. There may be some others in Clark's life, but maybe the second largest controversy in a way. Um, although he was involved early in the 1920s in the fundamentalist modernist controversy as well. But here, at the end of his life, he writes this book on the Incarnation. And what I've done in, in Chapter 13, where I, where I talk about this, or Chapter 12, I forget, um, is looking at his letter collection. Um, he, he's writing with his publisher and saying, I, I'm working on solving this very challenging issue, issue, and I want to avoid Nestorianism. That is, I don't want to um, fall into this ancient heresy of dividing Christ, pulling him apart into a, a God and a man, two separate um, persons. Yet, when when Clark works on trying to define the term person, which he argues has not been well-defined in Christian theological history, once he gets this definition of person, it's evident to him that on his own definition, Christ is two persons, a human person and a divine person. And so um, this naturally looks like a Nestorian position. Um, I show in the book a couple reasons why um, this isn't exactly Nestorianism, um, but as far as my own personal opinion on the matter, it, um, it's something I think even within those who are interested in Dr. Clark's philosophy, that there isn't really a consensus. Um, I, I think Clark is doing good work in trying to define his terms, but whether he ultimately um, comes up with the right definition and the right explanation of God is, I believe, still debatable, and there's like I said, a number of people who study Dr. Clark's thought who who would disagree with him on this issue. Do you see in your mind how this issue with the two persons goes back to the substance of the Clark Van Til controversy as far as some aspects, perhaps incomprehensibility, where with Clark's view everything must be logically developed into propositions. Nothing can be left on stating this and stating that, but forcing himself 
to come to two persons based on his view. You got to make this one quick, Doug. (laughs) One minute left. I think to the extent that the scriptures don't provide us the answers, Clark was okay with not having answers. So he didn't just, you know, force answers where there were none. But where possible, he wants to use scripture to its extent and its logical deductions to try to answer these questions. And so um, there is certainly an element related to the controversy in that Clark doesn't want to leave questions unanswered. Um, so I, I see that connection. I have I have heard this um, contention before that 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 there is a strong connection there between Clark's views on the incarnation and his on in, incomprehensibility, and I'd like to see that explored a little bit more. I, I haven't been able to draw the direct line that that I've heard some insinuate, but never prove to me. So that that's definitely an interesting question, though. Thank you, Doug, for joining us. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment. Thanks, Doug. Hi, this is Brian Myers. When I needed a better life insurance plan, I found it with Travis Riswold of Modern Woodman of America. When I first met Travis, he wasn't like some other life insurance agents that can be pushy and try to get you to buy something. Travis just made himself available to me. That was it. He told me to let him know if and when I needed anything, and he stayed in touch. When the day came and I did need to make some changes with my life insurance, Travis met with me and walked me through several options so I could make an informed decision. Ultimately, it was the best decision for my situation. So if you need a better or the best life insurance plan for you, call my friend Travis Riswold with Modern Woodman. His number is 515-883-0029. Travis Riswold with Modern Woodman. He can help you find the life insurance you need. Call him at 515-883-0029. Every human being has God-given dignity. That's what we believe at American Principles Project. We work in all 50 states and in Washington, D.C. to promote life, religious freedom, local control over education, economic progress for working Americans, and a return to the constitutional principles that make America great. Want to help us out? Visit our website today and sign up for email updates, AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. That's AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, a stimulating look at culture, current events, faith, and politics from a Christian and conservative point of view. We don't just talk on the radio, we blog too. Check us out at CaffeinatedThoughts.com. Now grab a cup of coffee and join us. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. And welcome back to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio sponsored in part by American Principles Project, a conservative political think tank in Washington, D.C. American Principles Project believes that human dignity should be at the heart of public policy. They work in all 50 states and in Washington, D.C. to promote life, religious freedom, and local control over education, authentic economic progress for working Americans, and a return to constitutional principles such as federalism. Want to help American Principles Project? Visit their website today, AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. That's AmericanPrinciplesPlesProject.org. Sign up for email updates, send a small do- donation their way, help them out. They're a great group. All right. Next up is our news segment, otherwise affectionately known as News You, you Can, can use. use. First up from CNN. The- CNN. Yeah, credibility, a nullified (laughs) network. Washington, 
Some staunch Republican donors and and activists are acknowledging for the first time that the inquiry into President Donald Trump's campaign ties to Russia is making them nervous, though more about the White House than the party-wide fallout. Their suspicion has been heightened, said Bob Vanderplatz. We know him. Yeah, we do. An Iowa evangelical, we might even see him tomorrow. Yep. An Iowa evangelical leader and power broker. Power broker. Like (laughs) that? Power broker. I'm not sure I would go that far, but okay. Well, this, but this is fake news, right? That's CNN. True. Okay. Russia-related news, Vanderplatz said, seems to be a lot of he said, she said. And this is the first time where it's like, no, this meeting happened. Here's the email. They're not rushing to any sort of judgment, but their suspicion is heightened, Vanderplatz said, of other conservative activists. His comments came the day after Donald Trump Jr. tweeted images of emails that showed he had arranged a meeting with a Russian lawyer after being offered dirt on Hillary Clinton's campaign. If it's what you say, I love it, the president's son responded in the emails, setting up a meeting with the Russian lawyer that also involved Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and campaign chief Paul Manafort. Trump Jr.'s publication of the emails thrust into public view the connections that the White House for months as downplayed or denied. Just a couple thoughts on this. I've written about this as well. Um, this was a stupid meeting. He should have never had this meeting. Uh, it was um, a poor decision, poor, poor judgment on his part. Uh, the fact the the campaign um, and then later on the administration downplayed this, uh, denied it, um, didn't say you know didn't admit that it that it happened. I think is a, is a black guy. Uh, was it, is this illegal? No. Uh, as far as I can tell, uh, Donald Trump Jr. did not commit any federal law. He did not break any federal law in having this meeting. Um, now, as you can imagine, that point's been disputed by by some legal experts. <sighs> and, I, well, and sitting out in the cheap I, seats, I, I, I don't know what to I, say. I, I'm just like, what? It was, first of all, he he didn't actually, according to his testimony. Um, you know what, or what was admitted in the papers that the the information was dangled in front of them that, but they didn't actually end up providing it. And it, I think at at most you can say it's attempted collusion, you know. But is it really collusion if you're just getting opposition research? Well, some people are saying that that opposition research does qualify under one of the statutes. Um, and, but but, uh, in, I've, but he didn't, I've read but other since, legal experts that say re- that's hogwash, and but he didn't since receive he didn't it. receive it, yeah. then you got to wonder: does that matter then? Right. But right. Anyway, um, I, I, just to, just to point out, some of these same people crying about this seem to be perfectly okay with uh, uh, the late uh, Senator Edward Kennedy's uh, involvement with Soviet Union to try to oh. disrupt uh, President Reagan's reelection, yeah. as well as they seem to have no problem with that. The, the former uh, British intelligence officer mm-hmm. who collected the dossiers. The dossier. So, uh, that dossier was a joke. Yeah, so you know, at least be consistent. That's the problem. That's really the problem. Okay, next up, this is from AP. Washington. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell released his new but still reeling 
Health care bill Thursday bidding for conservative support by letting insurers sell low-cost, skimpy policies and reaching for moderates with added billions to combat opioid abuse and help states rein in consumers' skyrocketing insurance costs. However, allowing insurers to offer bare-bone plans threatens to alienate moderates and perhaps other conservatives. And the measure retains cuts in Medicaid, the health insurance plan for the poor, disabled, and nursing home patients that moderate Republican senators have fought. The legislation, the Senate GOP's plan for rolling back much of President Barack Obama's health care law, faces a vote next week on a do-or-die vote next week on which McConnell has no margin for error. Since Democrats uniformly oppose the effort, McConnell needs the votes of 50 of the 52 GOP senators to prevail. And he's not going to get it. No, I think, I, I I think mean, quite even, likely this thing's dead. Even the Cruz Amendment, um, it helps a little bit, but it's I don't think it's enough to really change. I don't even think Cruz is necessarily going to vote for the the bill itself if that's the only amendment of his they mm-hmm. they include in the in the new draft um maybe they'll surprise me but i think this one's doa i, I think so I, I, senator sass when he was in iowa uh last week said um that he actually came through even though uh jeff kaufman said he wasn't invited um anyway he he said basically and i agree they should repeal the bill. Exactly. Repeal Obamacare. That's what and they should work, have done from the get-go. And, and in August, work on on you know on some re- reform bill that that addresses some of these concerns, but does so in a way that uh, honors the free market, honors individual liberty, yeah. um, but yet still helps out those who are desperately in need. But nobody wanted to do that because it was going to cast uh, millions. I mean, this is the, the narrative, right? It was going right. to cast millions out into the street with no health care coverage. Here's the thing. So, May, you can repeal it, but you could still, you could do it. Gra- I mean, the re- you could pass a repeal, repeal bill with a, an sunset, end date, date. A sunset yeah. date. That way, nobody's like dropped immediately yeah. from their insurance. Next up from Climate Depot. This is Melbourne, Australia. Former Vice President Al Gore likened the battle against global warming to previous social causes. Gore spoke to the EcoCity World Summit in Melbourne, Australia, on July 13th. The EcoCity World Summit. Wouldn't you just love to be there? No. I wouldn't mind going to Australia, but... Yeah, okay. Australia wouldn't be bad. Except The conference bad. is being held from July 12th through 14th. Okay, quote. The abolition of slavery. Oh, I, oh, I don't know if I can get through this. You can The you abolition can of slavery, woman's suffrage, and women's rights the civil rights movement and the anti-apartheid movement in south africa the movement to stop the toxic phase of nuclear arms and most recently the gay rights movement gore said all these movements have one thing in common they were all met with ferocious resistance he said on july 13th during his talk to the conference in melbourne Gore warned that a future generation will wonder how we could not have acted. If they live in a world of political disruption and chaos and diseases, stronger storms and more destructive floods and worse droughts and sea level rise forcing receipt, re- retreat from coastal cities and political chaos, they would be justified in looking back at, back at us and asking, what were you thinking? Couldn't you hear what the science was saying? 
what Mother Nature was screaming at you, Gore explained. What a, what a moron. What a moron. Thank you. I, 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 don't, I don't even know what to say. It's like even climate change supporters are backtracking away from this catastrophic language. Well, certainly this kind of, of apocalyptic this is, this, stuff. This, this is just... Yeah, they make movies about this. This is not science. Okay. This is not reality. Somebody needs to check him to see if he's actually got a permanent tinfoil hat he's wearing. Oh, hey, this is Caffeinated Thoughts. We'll be back in a moment. With some better stuff, I trust. Is God punishing me? Does he hate me? What did I do to deserve these trials? I'm Scott Owen with Crosswalk Ministries of Central Iowa, and it's time to pause for peace. Pain and trials are commonly assumed to be signs that you do not have peace with God. Even the famous sufferer in the Bible, Job, endured accusations from his friends that his hardships were punishment from God. Yet the Bible offers several purposes of trials in the life of a believer. One such purpose is that hard times allow us to experience the fullness of God's comfort and grace to the point that we are able to comfort others that are in affliction. The Bible says, The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. If you want peace with God, give us a call at 515-635-5465 or online at crosswalkcounseling.org. That number again, 515-635-5465. Hey, and welcome back to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. We appreciate all of you listening. Please don't forget to check us out at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Of course, if you missed any of the previous uh, interviews, or the previous interview in the first and second segment, you can always check out the podcast at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Click on CT Radio, and all, every single pod, every single episode we've ever done, is on the website. So the evidence is there. The evidence is there. The good, the bad, the ugly, it's all there. Mostly the bad and so the ugly. I would encourage you, um, if you don't want to miss an episode, uh, because I, I understand sometimes catching radio at 8 a.m. on Saturday is tough, you can always check the podcast out. Um, we usually have it up later in the day, and you can subscribe on iTunes or TuneIn or uh, Google Play. All sorts of ways you can subscribe to the podcast. That way you don't miss a single episode. Okay, due to the incredible sheer volume of material we have available because the leader of the free world loves Twitter, today we're once again ending the show with the top Trump Tweet of the Week. Brought to you by Myers & Associates, serving the Midwest with industrial maintenance products and services. Call them at 515-795-3676. Myers & Associates, keeping your operations running. Without further ado, Ron, drum roll, please. <laughs> that is that. It was nuclear day, that, buddy. That, that's nuclear. appropriate. That is appropriate. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the top Trump tweet of the week. It's amazing they saw they they all survived the nuclear blast. Yep. And yes, still live to applaud. So we probably already burned through like three minutes of our... <laughs> How much time we got left, Ron? Oh, you got about two and a half. All mm-hmm. right. We got three of them here today, folks. He was busy from 5.12 in the morning till 6.39 in the morning on July 12th. At Washington Times states, Democrats have willfully used Moscow disinformation to influence the presidential election against Donald Trump. He's rather indignant there. Hmm. At 627, that was at 512, at 627 he said, why aren't the same standards placed on the Democrats? Look what Hillary Clinton may have gotten away with. Disgraceful. Guess who, who uh, you know, who, who, whose administration is it now? Who, who, uh, <laughs> who's the attorney general is it now? Yeah, I, I, I don't understand. You know, you can't always, you know, investigate further. I'm just saying. <laughs> You know, I I do have to make one comment, though. I understand his frustration, because you guys remember when, first of all, Hillary said, I only had this email on one device. Turns out there were 13. And as as far as I know, an established report that over at the State Department, they were smashing these, literally smashing these devices with hammers. And they're going after this guy for obstruction? I I understand the frustration. All right. 6.39 a.m., same day. The White House is functioning perfectly, <laughs> focused on health care, tax cuts, reform, and many other things. I have very little time for watching TV. But he always seems to catch when people talk about him, so he could tweet about the next morning. Functioning perfectly over there at the old White House. Perfect is definitely, his definition of minor. Term. Yeah, it's a relative term. So, <laughs> what a oh, way to end the show. Yep, that's right. Functioning perfectly there, gentlemen, gentlemen, ladies, friends, neighbors. The White House is running like a well-oiled machine. Wow. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, hey, we appreciate everybody listening. and, and uh, I'm wore out. I'm <laughs> completely wore out after all that. <laughs> Oh, anyway, hey, just don't forget to check out Caffeinated Thoughts and, and sign and, up for our email updates. And, and uh, check us out tomorrow. Yeah, or today, actually, yeah, when you hear this. Right. Yep, we'll be at the Family Leadership Summit. See you then, or see you next week, everybody. Take care.